Thanks for listening to the Women Emerging podcast. Every week we put up a new episode with insights into leadership, practical leadership, seen through the eyes of women leaders of all ages and all sectors from right across the world. Our aim is for women to be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and join Women Emerging on our website, womenemerging.org. That's womenemerging.org for more fabulous free leadership content. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Julia Middleton, Director of Women Emerging and your podcast host. This week I'm talking to Malati, who started her journey as a leader aged 12 when she began a campaign to get rid of plastic bags in her home in Bali in Indonesia. And that campaign reached way, 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 way beyond Bali. Then seven years later, she she launched Youth Youthtopia, Youthtopia, which is supporting young change makers all over the world so that they can really accelerate their impact and accelerate the change that they're producing. I caught her in a moment when she was drawing breath on her journey as a leader and as in leading and asked her, of course, for five objects that will illustrate what she's learnt on that journey. Learnt maybe, maybe learnt and questioned and relearned because it's been 12 lo- long years for Milati with a lot of learning. Milati, I love your objects. I love your objects because it'll be so much fun to talk about what you do when they drive you, but then what you do when you can't let them drive you, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. um, this, I've been so much looking for this conversation. So wait a minute, let's, let's start with your first book. Sorry, your first object, which is that book. I can see it. You're holding it. It's... Uh, this is how many the book. How many of those of the books have you got in your cupboard? It's kind of embarrassing. I've got um over. I did the count actually the other day. I think I have over twenty nine booklets filled from front to end. And this is simply because I have learned that if I'm able to inwardly reflect, it allows me to prepare my external message to my team to the messaging of campaigns that we're running out. And this is where I spend a lot of my time is actually in between the pages, reflecting and defining the perfect message to go out there, which is also where I've learned a lot of lessons of, you know, the battle between being super inward and reflective and when the right moment is to go outward and to share the message, to share your thoughts with others. And oftentimes there's a lot of comfort in the reflective space where there's no noise, no judgment, just that safe space of being on the pages of a book. But I think this is where, I don't know, the skills of leadership for me has been knowing when that sometimes it's just ready to go out and to share the message and then learn from the reactions of what others have to say. So it's been an it's been an interesting process, but I still take my book with me everywhere I go. 
When you say everywhere you go, what do you mean? I mean, where's the I, most ridiculous places you've taken that book to? Probably, I mean, it's a strange thing to bring on a in your bag on a night out, but I will have a little book with a pen because the craziest conversations always happen when you're least expecting it. So I want to be ready, whether it's at a hike um, or whether it's at a party, I will have a pen and a booklet with me. And does that ever terrify anybody? I think it's, it's yeah, there's been a couple of instances, you know, where um, I'm pulling out a book and I'm scribbling something down and people are like, are you serious? What are you doing? And I'm like, well, I just, I have conversation, I have um, ideas when I listen to people and that's where I first listen, digest, reflect it in my notebooks and hopefully the next day or it's like a cooking pot, actually. That's where the reflective um, process for me goes on because when I write it down, it becomes real and then I share it out. But this is where that limbo of reflecting first and then sharing it out there, often it becomes that chicken and egg. What do you do first? And what are you also, I guess, brave enough to share an idea that's not fully formed yet, right? So not allowing yourself to sit in that comfort of inward reflections before openly sharing it and saying, you know what, this is a half-cooked idea. Help me out to make it fully finished. That's interesting, isn't it? Be yes. And are there any things where you actually don't even go internal at all first? You go external straight from the beginning? Or, yeah. You know, other, other, other moments as a leader when you know you have gone internal and everybody sat around waiting for your decision or your words, when you know you should have resisted that temptation and gone out there boom now yeah definitely i mean even the creation of youthtopia which is the project that i'm dedicating you know 24 7 100 to it was an idea in my head for way too long because i had that feeling of i have to make sure it's perfect and i think this came from starting bye bye plastic bags 10 years ago it was the first project that i had done at 12 years old without a business plan without a strategy i had just gone out there and said this is the change i want to see making bali plastic bag free and luckily we were at the right time at the right place because that idea took off but it also made my life take off in a direction i had completely not planned for so when i had this idea for the next project utopia i was 15 years old when the idea first came into my head and i only publicly started talking about it when i was 19 so it's a fourth year project that has been cooking up in my head i have tons and tons of written essays about the project how i wanted it to go what direction it should be in the business model that i thought was perfect for it and man oh man i should have just put it out there because the timing was i think already ready when I first thought of it because it was a natural next step from the experience I had done with bioplastic bags to creating this next platform for more young people but I was so obsessed with having everything correct that I looking back feel like I may have missed a couple of opportunities and chances to make utopia slightly different than what it is today so that leads to your second object doesn't it it's it's all those faces I can see on the walls Talk, yes, speak to me about that. Oh, my, with pleasure. It's my, every day I come into my working space and this is the 
biggest, strongest visual that I'm seeing every day when I start my work and when I end my work. And it's because it's a strong reminder for me personally that I'm not alone, but it's also a strong reminder that there are so many diversities and strengths that belong in our generation. So for me, this is where I'm learning to celebrate all the different ways to being a change maker. When I started my change making journey, there was also this vision, this idea that there was a certain way we had to be or a certain way we had to speak, certain way we had to dress in order to fit into the picture of creating change. And the thing that I love the most about this wall is that it celebrates all of the different ways of being a change maker. Whether you are a talented photographer or a musician or a cook or a artist, there's so many ways that people are contributing to this movement of change. And I had to learn that and I had to appreciate that. And I had to also, um, I guess, celebrate that there isn't one way to being a change maker. That we also, as individuals, evolve in the ways that we want to contribute, right? And my sister, for example, is the strongest example I can share. We started Bye Bye Plastic Bags together at 10 and 12 years old. It was the sister story kicking off in 2013, and it grew all around the world. But my sister realized very quickly on that during the team meetings, every first Monday of the month, I would find myself at the at the head of the table leading the meeting through a, a, a meeting agenda, right? And my sister found out that she loved, absolutely loved preparing all of the dishes and the meals and the cookies and the snacks and putting them on the table because she believed that a good meeting and a good brainstorm always happened around a plate of food. So she decided, exactly. So she decided her passion wasn't so much in leading campaigns or leading big projects, but instead she wanted to study to become a chef. And this is where she, I always say, went from change maker to chef, but actually she's still a change maker, just changing the way she's contributing to the mission of change. And this is something that I'm I'm so grateful that I can see every single day when I walk into the office and every single day I leave from the office because we have to embrace this narrative. We have to start empowering everybody and inviting them to use their skills, inviting them to use their strengths, whatever it may be, because that's what this movement needs of us, for all, all of us to step in and go with our strengths. And it's interesting that, isn't it? Because you are such a strong personality and you have, you are the founder. And I, I, I've, I've you know, I may be at the other end of my career, but I, I, I recognize it. There's a real danger that as the founder, you get put on some sort of weird pedestal and everybody thinks that they all have to be mini Malatis. Yeah. And yeah. somehow you've got to get that message across, haven't you, that there are many different things that have got nothing to do with Malati. Yeah. No, I, I think this is something, this is also... Personally, probably one of the strongest reasons why I created Utopia in the first place, because I also got way too many times parents telling me, oh, I wish my kid was more like you or schools saying we want to raise a generation of Malatis. And I'm no, we need to empower each and every one of us to feel switched on and passionate about ourselves, our skills and feel confident to contribute that back into a shared goal. And I think that we're not creating these spaces enough. We're not having these role models enough. So walking in here every day, this is my reminder 
of my role models, the people that I look up to, and the many ways of creating change. And it's one of my greatest excitements to be able to welcome someone in and say, look at all of these incredible change makers. The reason why I love all of them next to each other is because it's this absolutely phenomenal, very colorful puzzle that comes together and doesn't work without each other. So it's also celebrating a narrative switch that we cannot do it alone. We are not alone and it will take all of us. What does that look like? Well, it looks very colorful, looks very messy sometimes. Some may say way too much, way too difficult, way too, too big of a concept to even comprehend. And that's why we stay very comfortable in finding a one person role model. But we're trying to break that down. We're trying to say, how do we create very personalized, meaningful connections with people that we can connect with or relate to in one way or the other? And that's why we have so many examples of real life change makers, because it doesn't matter if you're passionate about protecting animals or you're protecting humans or you're protecting the environment, mental health, physical health. There are common themes that I find change makers, especially from our generation, have. And that's also the narratives that will weave through the lessons learned of being a leader. And that comes on to your third. So it's a heart icon. Yes, Tell it me is. about that. So this is my little heart icon. It's very small. It's made out of, I think it's glass. Um, but I carry this. My mom gave this to me, actually. And it's perfect size. I keep it with me, um, especially when I'm traveling a lot, because um, it reminds me to hold on to being kind to others, but also to myself. I think you hear this a lot, right? You're your worst critic. And um, I am very, very serious and very strong on myself, but I'm also very strong and very demanding with those that work for me, work with me, work together on campaigns um, and different projects. So I think this is a strong reminder for me that I actually have physically on me to be kind. It's interesting the word kind, isn't it? Because in a way, it's quite culturally specific and time-specific mm. too, isn't it? So there may be moments where actually, as a leader, you have to be quite unkind. In fact, non-empathetic. Mm. You know, I think it's interesting that you brought up the cultural elements here because if we look at how, you know, Indonesia as a culture, especially being young and especially being a young girl, there are perceptions where we have to simply hold our mouth, sit and wait and do as we're told. And of course, as a 12 year old getting started as a change maker, there are ways where you want to be kind, you want to be respectful, you want to follow the expected cultural boundaries. But there's also a bigger picture that you have to speak up. You have to call people out. You make things uncomfortable in rooms that are so used to staying comfortable. So this is, I guess, where, you know, it's that feels heart. unkind. Absolutely. Exactly. It feels unkind. It feels it comes off as an attack. And it's definitely where you are reminding yourself and others that it's coming from a bigger place. It is not anything of a personal attack or, um, you know, something that is coming off as being unkind. Yeah, I, I think that this is, but it, it's uncomfortable, I guess. 
you know, being grounded in seeing something that needs to be done and nobody moving. So there's a lot of frustration that comes from it as well. Um, and I think that frustration is very much the source of a lot of what us young people do and getting started in the first place. So, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. I think it does. You know, I remember my father once saying the job of the leader sometimes is to be completely unreasonable, to push for something that everybody else thinks is unreasonable. And you half think is unreasonable, but you know you've got to push for it. And there may even be points, I suppose, you know, the job of the leader is sometimes to be perceived to be unkind. Yeah, I think also, yeah, this is where a lot of braveness also comes in, right? Where, again, bringing in the cultural elements, bringing in the youth element. I think if we are grounded in knowing the bigger picture or where we are trying to work towards, it's the power of trying to convince people. And sometimes you you have to, you realize that different audiences need the message delivered in different ways. And, you know, communities that are already impacted from the climate crisis, for example, will be a lot more easier to convince and jump on board than politicians who are very comfortable in their way of life, seeing it all only in a PowerPoint presentation. So you have to adjust in your narratives and make sure that being grounded, again, in the kindness, but sometimes speaking out and staying strong with the vision that you're trying to implement. Yeah. And being grounded, that that a lot of that comes back to your fourth object, doesn't it? Is the power of listening. Power of listening, yes. That's why my mom always says we got two ears and one mouth. Because the power of listening as a change maker, I've realized, will help build the strategies we need in order to empower and invite communities on board of change. If we're not listening and only talking to them about the importance of change, we might miss the very reason why they're not changing already or what the challenges are that they're facing. So the openness and the vulnerability in the space that you create to listen allows you to accelerate in the goals of creating change. But the lesson here that I've learned is creating that space of listening, being open to the feedback, just like the notebook externally, you have to listen, but don't, don't try and be everything to everyone. Because I think sometimes we have this really big urge as leaders or as front runners to implement all the different advice that we're getting from everyone, from left and right. And we start to become who we are not. And the power that we have, the the positions of leaderships that we we fall into or we grow into is because we have this gut feeling and this pure intention which we lead with so listen but stay true to yourself and that was a lesson that was very very difficult for me because I think starting so young as I mentioned a couple times before I had this perception that we had to be a certain way we had to act a certain way even turning 18 years old for me was a nightmare because I thought, oh my God, now I won't be the young change maker that everybody thinks I am. So 
you know, holding on to your vision and how you feel and your your focus is really important. And the lesson there for me was, you know, you can't be everything to everyone, but be open to listen and hear what they're saying and try and adjust with what that looks like for reaching the goals. To me also is is a sense of listening. Someone says, this isn't going well. And being brave enough to say, I know it's not going well, but that is not the priority to put it right. We have to do this first. Mm. So sort of yeah. holding the flaws or holding some of the flaws um, and being told about them all the time, but saying, but it's not the priority. This is the priority. For sure. This is priorities is something that I feel it's an interesting one as well, right? Because there's a lot going on at the same time, especially in the space of creating change, especially when you're working with so many different people, working on so many different campaigns. Um, priorities sometimes change, but as a leader, it's important to look further down today's to-do list or tomorrow's to-do list, but what's the year going to look like? What's the next six months going to look like? What's the five years going to look like? Because yeah, there's a lot that we need to do, but staying focused and staying grounded, again, that's the common thread here. It, it allows you to keep on going for the long term. And far too often, we see a lot of excited passion enter the space, which is good. And we need that passion. We need that excitement. But in order to keep sustained or to, to keep sustainable for us as well, not only the environment, but personally as leaders, it's so important to stay focused. When you listen, is there a type of person who you know you're always weak about because you'll always do what they tell you to do? Probably um, recently more uh, on like business advice or investors because I still feel like, and it's true, there, I have a lot to learn in that space um, and I'm appreciative of the guidance, but sometimes, you know, when, I, when an advisor will tell me, oh, you need another deck oh, the website needs to be adjusted because the copy isn't catching. Then I really sit there and think, is that my priority right now? <laughs> you know, not another deck, not another website fix. And it's funny because you, you, the first couple of times I got that advice, I would spend weeks and weeks crumpling up pieces of paper, throwing it in the bin, going back to the drawing board, adjusting the colors, the font. The, it was a learning experience and I listened but through that listening and through those adjustments I was also able to reflect on what felt right for me and also understanding the reason why I'm doing it I was again doing it because I had this perception that I wasn't knowing what I was doing whereas I know I need to listen and I learned through those experiences I came to the conclusion that I, in my gut, know what I want to achieve and where I want to go and how I want to get there. So I ballparked those experiences and tried it my way, gathering the team that I needed, gathering the different perspectives that I needed, and it flowed so much easier. And this goes back to doing things for the right reason and with the right intention. Listen to your advisors, but know what you're doing and know that you know what you're doing. 
which is also a confidence that builds up, right? I mean, it's not, <laughs> it wasn't always there. And I think this is something that I'm probably very, very proud of, at least the reflection of that, right? It's not that I know exactly every day what I'm doing, but there's moments where through that reflection and through that awareness and the writing, <laughs> I'm able to understand and navigate the space a lot better than I did when I was you know, 15 years old and going through my first burnout because I was adjusting to what everybody wanted me to be. Your first burnout was because you were adjusting to everything everybody else thought you were. Yeah. You know, Malati the change maker, Malati the activist, Malati the serious soul in a young body. And sometimes all I wanted to do was give up and go to a party or, you know, go for a dance with my first boyfriend. I mean, I was also 15 years old and a girl growing up on the island of Bali. And this is where, you know, all the lessons of, you know, being kind to yourself, being reflective before you explode outwards. It's all things that I had to learn growing up to be able to stay grounded and to stay focused. And the lesson of it all coming out to being you know, staying true to myself and feeling the confidence that I had this vision at 12 years old. I have this vision for creating a platform that's a lot bigger than myself and grounding myself in that allows me to keep on going. And you have good days and bad days and you reflect on that a lot. And I think that leads us also to the last item. Your last item. Your crutches. Yes. So come on, first you better tell us why you've got crutches. So I've got crutches because um, I was in the middle of my training for my first ever race, which I was very excited for. Um, And in that training, I was injured. I had a wrong slip and I fell and my ankle is sprained with a torn ligament as well. So I am on my bum basically for the last month and a half which is not easy for me um i'm super used to moving uh even when i talk usually i am walking um when i think i walk when i'm briefing my team i stand uh when we brainstorm i will be pacing back and forth i'm a very moving oriented person and it reflects more than physical it's my brain moves um so this experience of being injured and sitting down for majority of the last couple of weeks has been really difficult for me and of course the obvious lesson here is um you know knowing when to ask for help and i could say it's for when i need a glass of water or if i can't reach the remote control over there But it goes a lot deeper than that. I was reflecting a lot on my leadership and the role and responsibility that I feel also when I need to ask for help for things that I know I don't have the skill set for. This has been the biggest lesson of the last year and a half, even before the injury, recognizing that I can't do everything and recognizing what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, and being okay to ask for help. I used to think that people within the team or partners would look up to me and expect me to have all of the ideas finalized or have the game plan solid or know what to do. And sometimes I just don't. 
that's the reality of it. I have no idea how to set up a website. I have no idea how we can get a meeting with the educational ministry. And that's okay. Asking for help and coming together around a table, brainstorming everything is really important. But I think the leadership skill here is when a leader is able to identify what they need help with and being brave enough to ask for it. But you know what I was also thinking? Um, I had this thought just a couple of uh, days ago where what is also appreciated is that within a team, you know what the most comforting thing is when I hear someone say, how can I help you? How can I help? It's this um, mood. It's this vision. It's this ability to see someone else not being able to do something and saying, how can I help? So I think it's it goes both ways, right? Recognizing that when you need to ask for help, but also being able to see that in others and offering your help as well as an active member of a community, an active member of a team. Um, I think that's for me also part of the crutch lesson. Uh, you know, if I see someone not being able to complete a task, creating that space for reflection of why they're not able to do it or how I can help them achieve their goals. Why did it take you spraining a ligament to realize this? Oh, I I mean, I've, I've been realizing it for a while, but I think it's just the frustration that I feel. Or maybe it's just sitting down and not being able to move as much. You know, it's the... It, the moving is maybe distracting and it's also a coping mechanism to pretend that you're moving forward when you actually feel very stuck. And, you know, I mentioned my first burnout at a very young age. I've had a couple of them and they always happen around the same time of the year because it's always when big campaigns are finished or big events are just coming to a close and I wasn't coming from a place of uh, abundance. I was coming from a place of complete exhaustion because I was coupling a lot of responsibilities to myself without asking for help or running and thinking everybody else was on the same page. But I'd look back and I was at the finish line and everyone else was still gathering all information, collecting data, doing research, and I was already gone to the next event. So I think the calmness of a broken foot um, really had me reflect in an uncomfortable way. And trust me, it's also embarrassing to say that I've had more injuries this whole year than I have in like the last five years. And it's also simply my body just kind of giving up on me and saying, Mel, you really have to pay attention and start to change systematically what you are doing and ask for help. And I think now I'm only seeing that asking for help is actually a strength and not a weakness. Thank you so, so much, Malati. I loved every minute of that. Uh, I loved every minute of that. And yes, I go away with your book this balancing of inwards and outwards and being brave enough to share half-cooked ideas. If I'm honest, I've always found that quite easy because most of my ideas are half-cooked. 
but it's almost actually recognising that other people don't do it the same way as me that was very powerful for me during that conversation. But yes, balancing the inward and the outward. The, 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 the picture that all those faces on your wall in your office are deeply inspiring. Yes, of course, that you can't do things alone. But maybe this point is so strong, is that everybody does it their own way, including your sister, the chef, who is also a campaigner, and I send her my love. Then there's the love icon, yes, of being kind to yourself and to others. But also in that kindness, occasionally realising that you have to be unkind, uncomfortable and unreasonable just at times so as to be in the bigger picture kind. Listening but remembering always. This message comes through each time with you, Malati. Strong messages of what you need to do, but that you need to counterbalance it too. Listening, but remembering that you can't implement all the advice. You have to trust your own gut. And um, then the crutches, of course, asking for help, but also offering help two key pieces of leading neither works without the other and then maybe just to add I loved what you said about burnout we all get it and it's good to share it so thank you Malati enormously and um I look forward to next week with another extraordinary woman. Lots of love, Julia. To become part of our movement and share your thinking with us, subscribe to the podcast and join the Women Emerging group on our website at womenemerging.org. We love all of the messages you send us. Keep them coming.